Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, as always, joined by Reed. And Reed, I don't even have to ask how your New Year's went because uh, we were in the same place, doing the same thing. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Good to see Georgia uh, dominate and fine to see Bama dominate. It wasn't really what I wanted to happen, but wasn't that big of a deal. What I expected, so. <laughs> yeah. Entertaining, though, uh, for those of us who were rooting for Georgia. Um, we'll talk about the Natty towards the end of this episode. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, maybe it already happened, so, you know, make of that what you will. Uh, what's first on our order of business? Today we're going to do some news. We're going to talk about some coaching changes, roster changes, additions and subtractions everywhere, a little bit of recruiting stuff. But our main topic of this episode is going to be just thinking about 2021 as a whole, as not as like the year, but the the football <laughs> year. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're all done with the actual year 2021. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to go through like some superlatives. We'll talk about what our favorite games were, favorite moments, players, stuff like that. Um, we'll do a little bit of talk about the Rose Bowl as well, because we all know how entertaining that was. Um, but yeah, man, let's start from the top. Uh, who do you want to hit on first from this list of new hires? I believe we got five new guys since we last spoke. Yeah, I think um, I'll start with the guy who I've I've been most hyped on just based on his his Twitter presence alone, uh, and that's Carlos Lachlan, the running backs coach. Um, yeah, he's just been a fun follow so far on Twitter. Uh, he's he's oh, been. Yeah. Like he just started out by, by tweeting out at LaMichael with the picture of his uh, Doak Walker award. Um, and then just talking about how he wants to connect with all these past legends. And he listed like 20 names or something of, of really good guys. And then uh, of course, of course the, the biggest thing was him shouting out uh, Gary Campbell, the longtime running backs coach at Oregon, who's, I mean, mm-hmm. an, an absolute legend given yes. how many amazing backs he mentored and, and developed at Oregon. Um, so that was, that was just awesome to see that. Uh, like, it, I don't know. It was just to have someone come in and kind of embrace the culture here and really take seriously the opportunity that it means to take over as a running backs coach at Oregon and show a lot of respect for the history at that position at the school was really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think that it was, you know, a really solid hire in general Um, and type of guy that I think uh, it's kind of like a really high floor hire. Um, And I think he's probably going to be able to recruit fine uh, and develop it the position well um and i think that one you know the oregon and just our history at running back and the speed and everything can kind of recruit running backs on its own uh if you're having a successful season and then Mm -hmm. two i think there's so many great recruiters around him that you're going to get talent in um and so that hire just was was you know really solid in my mind I'm right with you, man. Uh, this is also the hire I'm maybe most excited about, even if it's not like the most important. We'll mention some other guys on the list who will have like bigger roles. Uh, you hit on everything I wanted to mention, except one thing that he tweeted out. <sighs> For those of you who live in Eugene or 
have been around Eugene in the past couple of years, there's a new establishment uh, on Patterson Street, and it's called Fat Shack, and it's right in like the heart of you know student living. Um, and Fat Shack is exactly what it sounds like. It is just straight up grease like food, and it's absolutely delicious. Um, it's kind of taken. It's it's starting to take over Doco for that spot for like the ultimate late night like uh, drunk spot to get food. You know. Mm. Um, this man, Coach Lachlan, tweeted out a picture of himself going to Fat Shack uh, just yesterday. We're recording this on Friday. Um, and that was all the evidence I needed to see that, oh, yeah, this is this is a certified dude right here. Uh, this man knows what he's doing. He knows how to get ingrained with the culture. Um, and he's really about it. So, yeah, man, I love all the Gary Campbell shouts. Those are awesome to see. And we haven't... Uh, I think a lot of people stopped kind of thinking about this, but that's very important within the context of this uh, whole former player fiasco that was going on for a while, right? I mean, the fact that somebody is going to pay homage to all those guys who came before him. We know Oregon's had a ton of great running backs. You mentioned some of the names. Um, and that acknowledgement is pretty important uh, when you have a situation like Oregon does regarding its former players right now. So that was good to see. Um, and yeah, that, that's all I got. <laughs> Want to yeah. go to the next name? Yeah. Um, the next one is is kind of an interesting one. Uh, Drew Maringer, who's coming on as the tight ends coach. Um, this is you know maybe a little bit more dicey, I guess you could say. Um, he's he's has a lot of stops right in his coaching career um and most mm -hmm. notably i think the biggest position he took on was at texas as a wide receiver coach from 2017 to 2019 um he's known as a good recruiter so that's a plus for sure um but his track record in terms of developing players and and his relationships with those players is not it's just a little spotty i don't know it's just there's a lot of these guys um you don't have any you know everyone just comes out and is congratulatory to them and you don't kind of hear anything bad about them and some mm -hmm. do and i think this is one where there's a little bit more of hit and miss in terms of how people feel about him um but he's he's been a good recruiter um and ultimately i think you know tight ends coach is kind of a smaller role um among mm -hmm the position coaches i guess you could say i mean it's an important position but ultimately you're you're only responsible for a couple guys out there uh on a given play you know sometimes none often one or two um and also it's not i mean with a running back or a quarterback they're going to have the ball in their hands a ton whereas a tight end is is not in the same way so it's not like i'm that worried about the hire um and i think that it helping with recruiting is a good thing um the thing that he's probably most known about uh in cfb circles right now is that he was a big reason why brew mccoy ended up going to texas mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but then of course brew mccoy went back to usc now he's not with the usc football team right now and could transfer so you wonder if he could end up at Oregon uh, and if that had anything to do with this because they still have a good relationship apparently. But yeah, this is one of the hires that I was pretty um, pretty meh on. Probably one of the 
steps I wouldn't have made, but you know. Yeah. Who knows I mean, at the end of the day, were. it's another guy in the room. He's got experience all over the country. I mean, I'm looking at his resume right here. Rice, Iowa State, Ohio State, right. James Madison, which, if you don't know, is one of the premier FCS programs. Yeah, man, Houston, Rutgers, Texas, FAU, New Mexico. He's been all over. Um, and we mentioned this in our last episode. Sure, he's never coached tight ends before explicitly. Like, that doesn't really matter. You just need somebody in the room who understands football to be a tight ends coach. Uh, that mm-hmm. position's usually straightforward. Or, like, again, we've seen tight end. Same thing with, like, a special teams guy, which segues into Joe Lorig, the, the new special teams coordinator. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see those bundled together, just somebody who knows football um, and can be sort of, you know, obviously you have to have some experience with tight ends and he's been like an offensive coordinator many different places. So he'll be fine with that. Uh, yeah, it, he kind of hits on a theme that we've seen throughout these hires. Some people have been a little reluctant to talk about it. Some people have been pretty overt in mentioning this. Um the kind of theme, overall theme of this new Oregon coaching staff seems to be that it's a lot of recruiters, guys who will get after talent, but maybe can't necessarily develop it as well um, yeah. as some of the premier coaching coaching types. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Because, I, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't know a ton about these guys. I'm not, like, ingrained. I'm not that deeply ingrained into the assistant coaching sphere. Uh I mean, I know you don't necessarily keep up with all that stuff either, but does that pose any problems for you as a fan? Well, I think it's a little overblown and like, I don't know, some are good, some are not as good. Um, But I mean, for me, I think when you talk about like college football being and the success of teams, especially at a championship level, like recruiting is the thing that you have to have and Mm -hmm. so in that regard like if you're going to take a risk on something uh i'd rather bring in a guy who you know is going to recruit really really well and maybe maybe is not you know going to be a really good coach too Mm -hmm. um and i think that also long term it's like if the coaching aspect doesn't work out with a guy it's a lot easier to move on and have a guy come in there to a really talented room. Uh, and if that guy's a better coach, it, you know, for it to be successful. So I think the floor is always going to be all right if you get a guy who's a really good recruiter in there, is what I would say. So I'm fine with those risks being taken. And, and I'm positive on the staff overall. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy you just mentioned, Joe Lorig. Uh, he's kind of interesting because his playing career actually – uh, was at Western Oregon. So that's kind of like mm-hmm. a cool cool nugget that he's coming back to the West Coast. Um, so, yeah, and he has a good resume too. Um, he overlapped with Landing, I believe. Um, I know he overlapped at Memphis, and I think he might have overlapped mm-hmm. at Arizona State uh, yep. for a year there as well. Um, so I, I like that a lot. I like guys that Landing has worked with directly. Um, being hires, I think, makes a lot. It's a lot better, probably. Um, yeah, same. It's just a, another layer of security. You know, it, it makes it a lot easier when two people already know each other. Obviously, to build yeah. that kind of relationship. Yeah, exactly. Just 
not going to be any surprises when they come in the door uh, in the same way, maybe. Um, and so then Lorg wor works his way up to Penn State. And I mean, when you see Penn State on there, like that is a legit program um, and by, you know, run, ran by James Franklin, who has a really good reputation in college football. Um, and so that's where Oregon takes him from. It was pretty interesting that he was announced as a special teams coordinator and Nichols coach. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really see that that often. No, um, you don't. <laughs> usually you have one of the secondary guys take over the Nichols as well. Um, so we'll see how that goes. It seems like maybe, um, I mean, it leaves Oregon without a linebackers coach officially, you know, as a sole job. Um, mm -hmm. And, but the good news there is Tosh and Lanning both have tons of experience with linebackers. And you wonder if, despite Lorg's title, maybe he'll, you know, be helping out with the linebackers as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to keep an eye on. Um, also, since we didn't really touch on this, and usually this is something you just gloss over and don't really pay attention to, his special team's output as a coach has actually been pretty good. Um, he had a ton of success at Memphis. Uh, Wikipedia tells me Memphis finished in the top five in kickoff return average twice and top 20 in kickoff return defense every year. You know, little things that add up to make a big difference. Um, and Tony Pollard, if you can remember this, uh, set a record under uh, Lorig having seven kickoff returns for Seven career kickoff returns for touchdowns. So, you know, just a little fun nugget there. Obviously, maybe he can – obviously, Oregon's had some explosiveness in the past uh, that shows through on special teams. So, maybe he can bring some of that back. That'd be nice. Um, okay. You got anything else on Lorig, or can we go to the fun ones? Yeah, let's go to the fun ones, man. Not that special teams isn't fun. You know, I'm a <laughs> big special teams guy. Um, so, <laughs> let's hit on your guy here. Uh, so that we have a natural segue with the other one. Tosh Lapoy, you called him the white whale, uh, and that was not an aesthetic description. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why should Oregon fans be excited about this hire? Yeah, I mean, in terms of recruiting mattering, this dude is just the best of the best. Um, and And honestly, I think that his recent resume probably even gives a a chance for his recruiting output to be, you know, to take another step. Um, mm -hmm. Because look back, you know, he was at Cal from 2008 to 2011, then at Washington for a couple of years, and he was pulling insane recruiting halls there. Um, but now he has a chance to come back to the West Coast. Not only is he putting on, you know, the Oregon shirt as a defensive coordinator, now which in title alone probably gives him some extra cachet to sell their recruits but moreover he has years at alabama you know the bet from 2014 to 2018 the best program in the country for the past decade and a half and then he has three years in the nfl coaching defensive line so i think you know, there's a little bit of worry. Just is is he older now? Is he not as you know dialed in as a recruiter? But um, and having spent some time in the NFL, but honestly, I mean, I think that him making this move 
and the financial investment that was put out by Oregon uh, and chosen by Dan Lanning specifically kind of uh, makes me feel pretty good that that he is coming in ready to do a, a job here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, I mean, we've talked about this before, but his history kind of is is Cal Washington. He's at Alabama for a while. Um, he's got experience with defensive line, with outside linebackers um, primarily. And, uh, yeah, I, and, you know, part of the thing is, so he goes to Bama and he's a really good coach there uh, and recruiter and rises through the ranks until he gets the defensive coordinator spot and as a play caller he kind of struggles uh and is you know basically dismissed after that so Mm -hmm. that's the big question here is whether he's going to call plays right um but i would assume not yeah (laughs) considering we have dan landing (laughs) right that's i think that's what we all want to hear uh for sure whether that's going to happen or not um but i mean this was a huge financial investment uh it's 1.7 mil per year for three years, I think is the contract, which is Mm -hmm. maybe the highest coordinator in the PAC 12 and amongst the highest in the nation. Um, so certainly plausible. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't mind it at all. I mean, ultimately it's like, if your coach thinks that highly of someone, um, to get the job done is the big thing. Right. I mean, I, called him the white whale uh it's the guy that crystal ball has wanted to bring in for a while like the the rumors have been circulating often about you know oh are we going to get tosh or not and so it says a lot to me that landing actually was able to get this job done and bring him back um and now it's just you know exciting to see what the results are yep definitely i know i'm excited for it uh again fall very much like Maybe uh, more so than any other one of these guys sort of exemplifies the uh, like recruiting juggernaut that Landing is trying to build. Um, yeah. Again, I talked about the cliche that's flying around earlier, and you said it, it might not be that big of a deal. So, I mean, we'll see how it translates onto the field. But um, one guy who, I mean, this is a position guy who people are also getting excited about, and mind you, not just for the fact that it's a new coach and like, oh, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of like uh, praise when a new coach comes in just because right. you're not going to hear anything bad about the person. They're, they're just arriving. Um, but I think it's safe to say this was a good hire in Junior Adams poaching him from UW. Um, here's the thing, Reed. As somebody who knows these two facts, like how, how can I make sense of, well, Washington's receivers weren't very good this year, right? but we just got their receivers coach. Why would we do that? Help me make sense of that. Why is this a good hire? Um, well, I think that, I think that the missing peach piece there, uh, would be the offensive coordinator at UW, <laughs> John Donovan. Um, that I think was, had a lot to do with the issues, uh, that the offense had. Right. Um, not to mention that the quarterback play with Dylan Morris wasn't great. Um, look, I mean, I think it's I think it's somewhat fair that the UW receivers haven't done amazing. Um, 
the past couple of years, especially. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think that the Oregon kind of culture, um, is something and the talent that we have here has just, we get the best out of people who come through Eugene a lot of times, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't necessarily been the case at Washington. Um, but junior absolutely in spades has, you know, the charisma and recruiting and likability from his players. Like, I think that so many people around Washington think and thought really highly of him. I guess I should say thought, especially now they, they probably <laughs> don't. Um, but he was, uh, he was one of the guys named to interim, I think, um, when Lake was dismissed, he was one of those guys who stepped up at the podium and, and was kind of a leader in the aftermath of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he was a big presence at Washington, um, really well connected in the Northwest, um, which I think is nice, like for for Lanning, who's grabbed some more national names um, here and there. And obviously he himself is kind of, he has some experience at Arizona state, but he's not a Pacific Northwest guy. I think junior Adams is one of those guys who's super tapped in, uh, with the Northwest scene with the seven on seven programs, um, Tracy Ford at FSP and all of that. Like mm-hmm. he just has, he has that cachet and his name means a lot in circles in the Pacific Northwest. And I think it's really good to have a guy like that on staff. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he was at Eastern Washington and then Boise State. Um, his kind of crowning jewel is is the development of Cooper Cup, um, mm-hmm. who himself credits him a ton. There's uh, a quote, I, I don't remember it off the top of my head, in his introductory page, um, the, the release that was done over on, on GoDuck. I'm looking at it right now. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh I'll just paraphrase from Cup. Uh, no other coach has had a greater impact on me than Coach Adams. Uh, his ability to coach the position is unmatched due to his knowledge of the game as well as ability to maximize the potential of every one of his players physically and mentally. The best there is, end quote. Uh, pretty high praise from somebody who puts up numbers every week in the NFL. Um, and, I mean, Oregon fans saw that firsthand uh, from Cooper Cup in Autzen Stadium, if I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, th- this th- is one to be excited about for sure. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the big thing is is some people, you know, you can look at his um, – a, a receiver has a drop or they don't get the best out of someone at UW, and people are kind of critical of that, and I understand it. But for me, that is, like, outweighed by just every single quote I've heard about this guy from anyone <laughs> who's been around him has been, like, so glowingly positive that – I just kind of, <laughs> I feel pretty, pretty good about the yeah. hire. Um, it's not the splashiest guy you could have gotten. I mean, keeping Brian McClendon might've been nice. Uh, and the wide receiver room certainly would have liked that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's awesome. And it has the added benefit, obviously that you, you get to put one over on, on the rivals up <laughs> North, which it feels pretty good. Yeah. And I want to, sure. I want to talk about that for a second. Cause this is a guy that they wanted to keep as I understand it. Uh, Kalen DeBoer and that new staff, I mean, it wasn't like he was kind of ushered out the door or sort of, 
maybe ignored, like, you know, people sort of look the other way when they're building a new staff. I mean, Lanning did that to a few guys on Oregon staff, you know, where they kind of just, they understand that he's going to bring in his new guys. That was not the case with Adams at Washington. They wanted to keep him around. The fact that Oregon, I mean, I keep saying poached as a verb. Maybe I can find a better one as I ramble through this. But, I mean, the fact that Oregon can just go in and take, a, you know, literally swap in, swap him into a new place in the same division, that's a pretty clear mark of superiority over one of your rivals. So I guess that's nice to see. Uh, again, we'll see how it all plays out on the field. Like, I'm not taking this as a... It's a small data point in a world of hate. Um, <laughs> but it's a positive one, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that does it for coaches. Another small data point, although this phys- physically it's quite large uh, in this rivalry, is Oregon poaching Taki Taimani, interior O-lineman from UW. Um I believe this will be his fifth year playing football in 2022. Uh, why? How did this happen? <laughs> it wasn't really on my radar until it happened. Do you know? Can you enlighten me a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just some buzz that kind of slowly grew about it. I think that the big thing is that Oregon needed a, a nose after Jason Jones left. Um, and they got a a solid one for sure in Taimani. Um, I know from talking to UW fans that they were really high on him in 2020 um, and then felt like he had kind of a more up and down season, I guess, this past year. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's a four-star coming out. of coming out. Um, he's, you know, 6'2", 6'3", and like 320 pounds, so... That's a big body, at least. Um, I don't expect him to start. You know, I think Popo still has that spot. Um, mm-hmm. But you needed someone to fill in those reps, and he's definitely a capable player, especially in the Pac-12. Like, oh yeah, it's you know, regardless of of whatever, it just is. There are you know maybe ten, twenty bodies in the entire conference like his. Uh, up front yeah. on the D line, so to have another one of those is is definitely uh, a benefit and one of those things where you know if you're playing whoever it is, the Arizonas, the Cal's, uh, he can you know he's just going to be bigger, stronger than the guy opposite him more times than not. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I dug through his PFF pages um, to find some stuff. This guy played more snaps than anybody else on uh, UW's D-line last year. Uh, I haven't looked at it in relation to the whole defense, but I would imagine it's also pretty high up on that list. He also only played 11 games, so the fact that he had 430 snaps in 11 games is pretty damn impressive. Uh, For those of you who put stock into PFF grades, it's a 72, which is good. Um, You know, it's not elite by any stretch, but it's definitely solid. Uh run defense and pass you know obviously he's more of a run defense stopper guy because he's in the middle rather than an edge rusher who's trying to get to the quarterback um but yeah man again seems like a perfect guy to plug that hole qb11 said this a few weeks ago or maybe it was last week uh that really no matter who we would replace jason jones with you're not really going to improve at that spot i don't know if this is uh i i think this goes along with that you know it's kind of a like for like 
If anything, I would still probably rather have Jones, but that's nitpicking at that point. Um, Tamani's legit, man. He's got the experience. Go ahead. Yeah, I think Jones definitely has a higher ceiling, but in terms of like, yeah, I mean, I just pulled up the PFF thing too. Like he played 530 snaps, sixth on the total defense for UW last year. Like that is a full-time starter at a Pac-12 school. And, you know, whatever we want to say about Washington, ultimately it's one of the more talented Pac-12 schools uh, in terms of recruiting rankings. So to have a guy play that many snaps, um, like the Um, experience factor is, is, you know, miles above what Jason Jones did at Oregon, even though I think that he probably has a higher ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting is looking at his the grade his grades from this past season. His best game by far, according to PFF, was against Oregon State. Which, yeah, that was a loss for you, Dub. But I mean, when you think of Oregon State this year, you really think of one thing, and that's like pounding the rock. So I thought it was interesting that an interior lineman would grade out. Oh, it was something like eighty or eighty-five or something. It was a really good grade uh, against such a hard-nosed front for Oregon State. So, um, really excited about that. Again, I think he's got. Well, he redshirted in twenty eighteen, but he's been playing pretty consistently ever since then. Uh, that means he has two years of eligibility left, if I'm counting that right. Yeah, um, he would have played twenty nineteen and this year twenty twenty one and twenty twenty one count. So, yeah, I think he has two. So yeah, left. he's got two years yeah. left. Um, we have seen guys like we, for example, Bo Nix is a perfect example of this. Bo Nix has two years of eligibility left. Probably only use one. Uh, we'll see if that's the case for time on it, but it's definitely way too early to see that. Uh, Taki is his nickname. That's That's got to be in contention for one of the best nicknames on the roster now, especially with the general departing for the draft. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet. Um, but yeah, really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, just <laughs> poaching guys from the Huskies is always fun. It kind of reminds them who's boss right now. Uh, and that's always that's always nice. Um, some other roster stuff. Uh, I can't think of any other departures off the top of my head other than McKinley since we last spoke. Um, it's good to know the whole offensive line is coming back, though. That is yeah. probably going to be the biggest like victory from a roster standpoint of the entire offseason. Um, obviously, George Moore has to go. He's been here since like 2016 or something, 2017. But... Everybody else is coming back. Do you want to throw some words on the significance of that? I think it's a really nice uh, – it's just nice continuity for, for the first year under Lanning. Um, I mean, I feel a little weird about it uh, in terms of moving, looking towards the future um, because it's not like I would call next year kind of like our all-in year. Uh, we're going to have a first time quarterback and, and some of our receivers and stuff probably could use another year of development, I guess. Um, and first year with the coaching staff. So I, it's going to help us, you know, raise the floor next year. That said, I'm definitely hopeful that guys like Jackson powers, Johnson and Bram Walden will have like a, a very large role, um, in that offensive line so that we do have some continuity heading into 2023. Um, I think that's still important to keep in mind, but I mean, 
also you you just can't take wins for granted in a season especially at the beginning of someone's tenure so if those guys help help get one or two more wins in year one under landing like the momentum of that could help a ton um mm-hmm. so i think it's obviously it's a positive thing overall but you know still looking to develop those young guys on the offensive line is something that i am definitely going to be looking for next year as well yep and there have been talk of transfers uh at different positions throughout the roster especially with names like caleb williams getting thrown out there i think it's safe to say that caleb and mario from uh, oklahoma state the williams is no relation i believe uh i don't think they're coming to oregon you know Jay Hop said as much in the juice on Scoop Duck, which you should be reading. Um, and then guys like Jeremy Bernard, I know there was a lot of smoke with him. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Why was he such a sought-after name in this offseason so far? Well, I think a big part of it was just that he is, like, was one of the crown jewels of the UW class before, before departing. Uh, I mean, another part of it was definitely that he was at Liberty High School with uh, with Sir Mel's and Anthony Jones, um, who both obviously are Oregon commits. So, I mean, I think that was a big part of it. And when you have Junior Adams come over, you're, everyone's thinking, oh, can we get this guy? Can we flip him? And then there was some buzz that he was trying to get out of it. Um so, yeah, I think it was kind of a two-part thing. Both Oregon wanted him, especially given having lost all of the receivers in the 2022 class for Oregon. Um, and we wanted him to get away from Washington because uh, he was one of two four-stars on there who are committed to them. <laughs> so it's a pretty big hit for them. He's going to Michigan State now, it looks like, though. Uh mm-hmm and yeah you know it is what it is i think he would have been a good addition but i don't think that oregon necessarily um you know needed or felt like they wanted to do the full court press there i think that yeah lanning's entire philosophy has been like look this roster is in a pretty good place right now um like and he did the same thing with the coaching staff you don't need to panic you don't need to make any rash decisions uh he always said like i'd rather walk and get it right than sprint to get it wrong um Mm -hmm. and i think this is kind of a case of that you know not necessarily saying that jeremy's a guy that oregon didn't want but i think that landing knows like you know look at franklin and thornton and brevard there's some talent in the wide receiver room already we don't need to add a guy just to add a guy. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and he also sees like, there's a ton of potential, um, people who would want to join Oregon with how it's going right now. And, and whether that's through the transfer portal or that's prep recruits or whatever it is, like there, there are other options. Um, so two of those, you know, just to transition the other stuff, you know, Jalen McMillan was one who's, also at UW, um, also had that connection with Junior Adams. Uh, a lot of people thought that Oregon might be pursuing him. It turns out he um, is is not going to leave UW. He just had to announce yeah. that, which was pretty funny. 
pretty yeah. funny to have guys <laughs> putting out press releases that they're not transferring. Um, press releases is a funny way to think about it. Yeah, I have I haven't really put those two together in my mind, but that's exactly what it is. And moreover, that they make edits for each one or have edits made for each one. That's just kind right. of funny. Um, and another guy is, is Justice Lowe uh, out of Lake Oswego, who's currently committed to Utah. Um, that's guy Oregon's kind of trying to make a move on. Um, and there's going to be an update on him uh, that I wrote up that Jonathan did the interview for on Scoop Duck soon, I believe. So, nice. um yeah keep a lookout for that people um but yeah i think you know in general this this 22 class people are gonna look at a little bit like what's going on with it but honestly their their roster is in a good spot and there just weren't that many guys left uh spots scholarships left to begin with so mm-hmm. uh i think landing's just being really careful about it and honestly i mean that's something that i think that Cristobal was kind of a flaw with him. Um, I felt like there were times where he pushed to get things done and kind of build recruiting momentum early in a cycle and would sometimes take a few guys that Oregon didn't necessarily want to hang on to later in the cycle, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, would be a way of putting it. Um, I think he just kind of underestimated at times how big of a pull Oregon would be. I mean, like, you just look at what was – it's ironic because it fell apart, but, like, in the 22 class, there was a huge logjam at receiver um, mm-hmm. where you have a guy like Stefan Johnson that you took early that now is decommitted. But then you have T-Mac, and then you had Satagna, and you had Nico Anderson – and you're looking at a guy like kevin coleman and darius clemens out there and it's like we i don't know if we can take these guys and it's kind of ridiculous (laughs) um and so i think lanning's patience could be a big virtue in in the recruiting game because oregon's brand is is big and in talking to players and stuff i think that you know if you wait around and and a lot of those battles are gonna you know end up falling your way or you're gonna at least be in a be in contention for guys later on you don't necessarily need to worry about just filling a class anymore it's it it's more about just deciding who you want out of a bunch of elite prospects Mm -hmm. and also next off season is when we're really going to see more of uh landings like Mm -hmm. planning for (laughs) um again he's still literally coaching georgia uh in the right. national title game on Monday, in, in case you forgot. Uh, so, I mean, regardless of what his intentions are in this cycle, not all of them are going to happen yet. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. So, again, we'll see about Justice Lowe. We'll see about uh, a guy like Jaleel Florence, who still is looking to commit on signing day. He's down to a top five of Oregon, Miami, Oklahoma, USC, and Florida. Yeah, I think that... I think that overall this class and the recruiting efforts going to come together a lot after Lanning is, is done with the national championship on Monday. Um, and a lot of these assistants get more dialed in. It's going to be a sprint to, to February and we'll probably have more coverage of, of that on the podcast, obviously once those guys get settled in, once Lanning is back in town. Um, 
and we see that push happen, we kind of can go over that stuff and, and go over a bit more of what the roster is going to look like really heading into 2022 on a future episode, probably. Yeah, definitely. Cause that is something we focus on a lot on this show. Uh, if you're maybe a little bit newer is the roster. Um, we like breaking things down by position, seeing where guys fit in and kind of putting this whole puzzle of a football team together. Uh, so you can be more familiar with the players by the time they actually take the field. Um, uh, another, have you, did you mention Devin Campbell? No, not yet. I mean, that's just a guy Adrian Clem is pursuing, pursuing uh, five-star offensive lineman out of Texas. He's probably going to go to Texas. That's kind of what the consensus is. But, um, I mean, when you get a chance to sign a five-star, you, you try to do it, obviously. He's in the 22 class, so that would be a huge boost to Oregon's like rating, which I believe has fallen, technically speaking, to third in the Pac-12. Um, behind, well, or maybe even like fourth, depending on what service you use. Stanford is like number one right now. They've been putting in work. Uh, and then Arizona and UCLA have also been pretty impressive so far. Um, yeah. I but think... like you said, I mean, the roster is already in a good place. We can't say that enough. Like, we just don't – bottom line is we didn't need to take a ton of guys in this cycle to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think Campbell's a good one to mention – I think Connerly, Josh Connerly, you know, Ducks got included in that top six on New Year's Day. So we'll see how that race goes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. Um, and I would just say, you know, kind of enjoy what happens here if you're an Oregon fan. But ultimately, the roster is going to be in a pretty solid spot next year regardless. Um, and with the transfer portal and everything, there's plenty of tools at at Lanning's disposure to kind of patch up a single year where you, you don't sign as big of a class. Yep, exactly, exactly. All right, let's move now. Uh, stop talking about coaches as much. Stop talking about uh, roster as much. And kind of look back on 2021, the season that was. Uh, if you have a screen in front of you, maybe pull up a schedule just to remind yourself, you know, it can get tough. I mean, as we were thinking about the games uh, before we started recording, I mean, so many of them just kind of mushed together in your head. We had a lot of similar types of games this season. But I think we want to what we want to do is to start us off and kind of refresh everyone's mind. Uh, let's sort of go through these games and, like, rank them, really, in order of, I don't know, significance, just straight-up favoritism. Maybe like, I know this is how you think about games and it is for me as well. Like rewatchability is kind of the main like criteria for me a lot of the time. Um, so let's just go bottom to top, man. Uh, what was, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but maybe there's a contest for worst game of the season. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I, I went with the first Utah game. Um, and I, I, that was the, I'll spoil it. That was the debate for me, whether it was Utah one or Utah two. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I thought that the Utah one was just a bit more soul crushing for me. Um, yeah. I mean, getting, getting 28, nothing in the first half was horrible. Um, 
and just kind of the realization that like fighting through a season and gritting through those injuries and everything and the quarterback situation uh and then just being like wow this team kind of did screw up like the we just don't have it um was was rough at a time when we went into that game as like this is one of the last hurdles to a playoff and then yeah Yeah. side utah one at the bottom what about you i actually just when i was writing out my list i wrote utah times two um because they were the same game actually It, (laughs) it was actually just one long game they played an extra four quarters and uh nothing really changed between the two i if i had to pick i guess i'll put utah one lower because like you said, it was just kind of more of a shock. Like it was, wor- it was much worse than expectations. Whereas by the time the Pac-12 title game rolled around and we saw a carbon copy, it wasn't as surprising and as demoralizing, I guess. Um. All yeah. right. Next worst. Let's get these losses out of the way. I'm <laughs> assuming those are your bottom four as well. Um. um yeah. You want to go with? Uh, go with. <laughs> number 12 it's got to be stanford right yeah <laughs> the oklahoma loss i mean we can get get this out of the way now the oklahoma loss like that's whatever you know the we already had a new coach at that point like the season's over already so many guys opting out and everything like that it's a loss so it's disappointing and it'll end up near the bottom of the list but i mean it the second half was some of the most fun football we've actually seen from oregon this season in the alamo bowl but yeah, Stanford, soul crushing. Uh, we've seen this movie way too many times already, and it wasn't any better this season. Um, having KT back, being one week away from the bye, all this stuff just kind of. There were so many reasons where, or there were there were just so many justifications in my head watching this. Like, if we can just pull out a win, you know, we'll have so many opportunities to correct this error. Um, and somehow, yeah. some way, Stanford weaseled their way into a victory, and that one's going to sting for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the way it happened was particularly crushing. I mean, we've been through a lot of these things with Stanford, but like to have you know come out flat and go down, um, you know, was one thing, but then the team kind of gets it together and really, you know, effectively wins the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, puts together that really long drive where it just looks like, okay, clock's going to bleed out here. Oregon's got it, you know? Um, And then, yeah. And then just that final drive from Stanford to tie it. It's just that feeling going into overtime, like how in the hell are do we have to play another, you know, two possessions yeah. here? Like, how is that possible? Um, was just especially, yeah, demoralizing. It was so bad. Um, <laughs> to be at the top of the, you know, yeah, it just, and going into that bye week and just Stanford not winning a single game after that point, just on so many levels, it was like, how did this happen? Yeah. I, I don't I don't want to speak speak <laughs> anymore about that. Um I started to give my thoughts on the Alamo Bowl 
Um, again, the best law, the best of the worst, I guess. Uh, you can probably separate a tier after this and just call this the losses as our quote bottom four games of the season. You know, um, I I actually uh, I I bumped Oklahoma up one spot. I put another oh, wow. game below it. Yeah. Really? Because uh, look, the first half of the Oklahoma game was horrible, right? But as you said, the second half really was some of the most fun that I've had the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, particularly just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those, put me down in the camp. That's just like ridiculously excited about Troy Franklin <laughs> and Dante Thornton um, and loves every second we get to see them on the field. And so for me, that second half of just actually unleashing bombs and hitting them deep was was awesome so that that got me just enough to put it at number 10 so the game i dropped down to 11 was the cal game Um, really yeah for me i mean the end of it is is fun to get the stop on a really long drive um from cal to tie it and to to survive was fun but that performance was I, i remember tweeting it during the time maybe the worst performance of the season at that point like the utah games were bad later but i thought that was a worse game by oregon than the stanford game um i just felt horrible about watching that team play the entire game and it was like i I mean it felt good to survive it but at that time too i think cal's one in four going into that game like I don't know. It just that point of the season was rough. Like right after the Stanford game, are we gonna respond? And then we just don't at all. I don't know. Uh, I I've I've negative memories of that game other than the final <laughs> exhale that that it wasn't a loss. It was a it was a horrible three hours for me. I don't. I disagree a little bit. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, the Cal game was terrible. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing on that front. Like we played awful, and it was one of our worst games of the season. Um, I think you made a very good case for that. The entertainment factor was great for me, though. Um, Cal was actually Cal made it into the top half of my rankings at number seven. Um, it oh was a God. great game to be at from an again from an entertainment standpoint. Like I got to see Kayvon dominate. It was one of the games he actually played in, so that was nice. Yeah, uh, we had some crazy plays in that game from Anthony Brown, notably on a great touchdown run. Um, we had stu- the student section chanting, "We want Ty Thompson." Um, that, that was pretty cool, and yeah, it was just a—I don't know—it was an extremely entertaining game to be at. Um, and again, for me, like rewatchability is a huge factor in this, and I would rather watch that game over like well the other ones that we're about to talk about so but yeah OU is still I, at 11 for me I wonder if you'd I would be interested to rewatch it because I I mean I I watched a film review from, from yeah, QB yeah. at the time and I'm pro, I'm sure I pulled over some poured over some highlights that week but I haven't rewatched it since then um but just looking at the box score I mean just the fact that Oregon was down seven to Cal, like seventeen ten to Cal in the fourth quarter was just insane. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. 
but yeah, the the last drive and winning it was was entertaining. Um, okay. Uh, move on what's from there. What was what was your number? Well, my next is Oklahoma. What's yours? What's your number ten? Oh, Stony Brook. I I think that's all I really need to say. Yeah. yeah. Were you higher on Stony because of the wide receiver and young the, the the tie effect essentially? Yeah, just a bit higher. Just a bit higher. Oh my god. Mm. Uh sorry, live live news on the pod. Um oh. Jaden Delora is in the transfer portal, Washington State quarterback. Oh. Wow, that is big them. news. That is very big news. Well we'll That's tough to wrap my mind around. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably wait to dissect that until some uh, something else comes out, but holy crap, that is that is I big mean, news. Was, I mean, one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. I was, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, he was great this season. That's that's really interesting. I wonder who's going to start a quarterback for Wazoo next year. Yeah. Um, he, From what I remember, he was one of the guys who very vocally defended uh, Nick Rolovich. So maybe he's not as high on Kalen DeBoer as the rest of the team. But I also feel like... Uh, Maybe maybe I'm misremembering, misremembering, but he was like a very just generally a vocal guy on that team. So it kind of surprises you when someone like that leaves the program. But anyways, yeah, yeah, we don't we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> um, what was your ninth best game of this of this Oregon season? Uh, I had the Arizona game at number nine. Um, okay, it was kind of fun. There were some fun plays in it for sure. Uh, I mean, all the turnovers were fun, um, but overall, there was just like watching Arizona claw back into the game, and then the announcers too were really. I don't think I think you were probably there in person, so you didn't see. Yeah, didn't have to listen to them. The was announcers were Gilmore horrible. Game? Yeah, uh, it's a Rod Gilmore game. They're just talking constantly about how like what frauds Oregon were were it was just it was a headache all around um and it was kind of the start of like because the Stony Brook game I didn't worry about at all but then the Arizona game kind of was the moment where it was like okay I think we're all good like I think Oregon's good but the Ohio State like glow kind of had worn off a little bit where it was like, okay, we've, we're about to dive into a real Pac-12 slate here. Like, mm-hmm. how good is this team, really? So, That's an interesting way to look at it, yeah. The, the exciting plays and everything you mentioned had this one at number eight for me. I had Fresno at number nine. Um, but, yeah, it, I definitely got that feeling, too. Like, this was week four, first conference game of the year and we beat Ohio State two weeks ago, we should be demolishing this team. And Arizona's uh, horrible, especially. Awful. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. In, in case the listeners don't know, Arizona won a total of one game this year, and it was against Cal's, like, C team. And I think that's being generous. Um, they should so have won yeah. the Washington game, to be fair. They <laughs> should have. They should have. Um, let's see. Yeah, Arizona was fine. I mean, it was a disappointing result. Well, no, not a disappointing result. We should have played better than we did. We should have won by more points than we did. Uh, and 
Oh, was this a game Kayvon missed? I think it was. Can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, because he came back for the Stanford game. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I, I, you know, 8-9 is pretty similar. Do you have Fresno up next, or is, did that get pushed higher for you? Yeah, I have Stoney at 8. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, I have Stoney at 8, and uh, yeah, you know, I – I, I think I, I have it just edging out the Arizona game. My logic was just kind of like, I mean, when I was watching the Stony Brook game, really, I'm just replaying the Ohio State game in my head still. <laughs> um, and so I'm still just like on cloud nine because of that, and it's Stony Brook. And so it's just kind of like a scrimmage where I just get to watch, you know, <laughs> watch the team go through some reps while I think about how we're ranked fourth in the country and just beat Ohio state. Um, and then getting to see Ty Thompson in the second half was pretty fun. So yeah. yeah. Arizona just beats out. Uh, well, I mean, it, Stony Brook for me is the worst of the wins. Um, because for those who were in attendance for this game, terrible, terrible weather. The entire day up until kickoff. Oh, right. <laughs> Literally yeah. right as the broadcast starts, um, it cleared up. It was insane. Uh, and before that, it was dumping rain. Like some of the worst rain I've ever seen. Lived in Oregon my whole life. Uh, it, was, it was very odd to see. And it was so that kind of real rough in-person experience is why it's low for me. But yeah, I, I totally get the reasoning. With these like... We called them the middle six beforehand. Uh, you can probably, like, you might be able to single out the top four yourself, but um, you know, these middle six, like, I could see arguments for them being kind of anywhere. Um, what number are we on now? Seven? Yeah, I had Cal at seven. Like, we've already talked about it. Yeah. Entertaining. KT dominated. It was fun. Right. I think it just kind of depends whether you're thinking about it through, like, how positive did it make you feel about Oregon as a team versus like it was a pretty entertaining game, right? I mean, if you, if yeah, it, yeah. if we were just to put someone in the room who didn't have any stake in the game, you know, and was just watching with us, it would be like, well, that was that was a really exciting game. So yeah, yeah. Um, that seven, I had Fresno State. It's a really weird game looking back on it, right? I mean, at the time, everyone's just kind of, like, nervous about the Ohio State game. Yeah. And we don't really have any idea how good Fresno State really is. Mm -hmm. um, and even the game itself is weird. I had it high because the start of it was freaking awesome. I mean, mm -hmm. Kayvon gets the strip sack, and then... Uh, and then I think, uh, yeah, Noah Sewell gets a fumble, force fumble right after it. And then I think Flo has a force fumble. Yeah, Flo has a force fumble mm -hmm. late in the second half. So that was just like having those three players that was kind of like a dream trifecta, all force fumbles was mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, this defense is going to be ridiculously good this year. And that kind of didn't ever materialize in part because Flo was out. I mean, the defense was up and down, but it wasn't as much like the juggernauts just bullying people as it felt at the beginning of that game. Um, yeah, yeah. 
So the first. Yeah, I don't know. When, when I think of the Fresno game, I just think of the anxiety I had. Um, yeah. Because of course, at the time, nobody was focused on Fresno. I mean, if everyone was being honest, it was all about the trip to Columbus next week. And the the one feeling I really came away with from the Fresno game, at the time, was just, oh my God, we are gonna get slaughtered by the by the Buckeyes next week. <laughs> like, it was just this invasive thought that I couldn't get rid of. Um, like, God, if we couldn't, if we couldn't hold Fresno down to like a two score game, then how the hell are we going to march into Columbus and do anything? And miraculously, both of those things happened. So, yeah. um, well, know, there's also just the, better, the thought of like having worked for this or like looked at this Ohio state opportunity for so long, and like going back to the game that was supposed to be played in Austin to lay a dud mm-hmm. the week before would have just been crushing. Um, yeah. And yeah. so I'm really happy that it worked out the way it did, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was a weird game. I mean, it was a weird, you know, it's a test there. And it was uh, the ending was fun. I mean, AB's final run was, was a fun little moment um, and getting off the field and, and getting that win was, was cool. And it kind of turned out in the following weeks that Fresno State was a pretty good team. So I think we looked back on it a little better. Um, I mean, I remember saying – to you in that post game or maybe the preview for for Ohio State just like ultimately everyone is going to look at this game like in partnership with the Ohio State game yeah so like if the Ohio State game goes bad (laughs) yeah we're all gonna say like oh Jesus we knew it right when we couldn't put away Fresno State and need the last (laughs) second to win it and if it goes well everyone's just going to think about like what a glorious start to the season it was. And that, I mean, it's not the hottest take ever, but uh, it obviously turned out to be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was also, I, I didn't think about this cause I wasn't at the stadium, but it was the first game back with fans in Autzen, uh oh, in yeah. over a year. Yeah. yeah. In like basically two years. So that was cool. Um, if I'd been in attendance, that probably would have pushed it up higher for me. All right, uh, we're in the top half now. We're in the top five, actually, right? That was uh, your number six? I think we're seven. at six right now. Okay, what's your six? Okay, this is really controversial, and I'm I'm not sure if I would... To, in full transparency, we did these rankings like seconds before the show, just kind of jotted them down quickly. Yeah. I put the UW game at six wow wow because honestly i would say that the the thing for me is every game from u-dub and all the ones we've talked to before this i felt like more negative than positive about oregon as a football team coming out of it really and the the five games ahead of it i just felt pause i felt more positive about what we saw so that was the difference for me, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, beating UW is so satisfying. And just because it's UW, I probably will rewatch it a fair amount. <laughs> and, but it was such an ugly game. It was like the ugliest game ever, really. Um, it was pretty gross. Yeah, it was definitely some sickos football. Yeah, I don't know how I feel. It's it. That's why it's just so tough to rank because it. Usually a win yeah, over UW, it, like, you know, I could just put it first because it, 
there's nothing better than beating Washington, but at the same time, like, it was such an ugly game. Um, what did you have at six? I had Wazoo um, yeah. at home. This was just, I think pretty much, I, I like your way of thinking, and I realize that I kind of ingrained it into my list as well. Everything south of this game was like, I wasn't feeling great about Oregon after the game. But yeah. honestly, I felt good about the Ducks after the UW game and this game against mm-hmm. Wazoo. Um, I <laughs> I don't know. I got to sit in the box for it, which is really cool. I know people are probably getting tired of hearing about that. <laughs> but it's something I'll treasure forever. Um, it was a wacky game. It was very entertaining. I feel like it would make a good rewatch just because of the back-and-forth nature, especially the first half um, and the big plays going either direction. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a solid win. And at the time it, it had me, it had given me quite a bit of confidence. Um, maybe looking back as I stare at this schedule, maybe it shouldn't have given me as much confidence for what came next week against Utah. But, um, yeah, I enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed the beating the Cougs at Autzen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'll, I had this at my fifth game. Um, Okay. Perfect. And yeah, for all the same reasons. I mean, I think you go into that. The first half is kind of messy, back, big plays back and forth. Um, but it was fun at a time when Oregon's riding high, uh, ranked third in the country. And, you know, they get that late score in the second quarter to tie it at 14. And it's kind of like, oh, God, Oregon's kind of, you know, shot itself in the foot in this first half. And now we're going to have to play a tight second half the rest of the way here in you know at a point where a loss is just crushing to the season trajectory and to give up that third ranking to a wazoo team you know and uh and oregon delivered one of its best halves of football in the second half it was it was awesome to watch um them take over byron cardwell has two long touchdown runs in the second half uh and kind of it's one of those games he announces himself um so really enjoyable really enjoyable um, kind of like just a classic college football game where a team's in a playoff hunt or or conference hunt or whatever it is late in a season and mm-hmm. they get put in a tough position you know in a second half against a team who they probably should be more talented than uh and Oregon found a way to respond and get it done so Mind you, this was a huge game for the Pac-12 North race as well. Yeah, uh, Wazoo was still, I mean, Wazoo was in the thick of the North race, maybe not in the thick of it, but they, they had a shot to win it even after beating UW. They had to wait on uh, the Civil War result to see whether or not they would go. Right, if but, you switch um, this result, Wazoo does win the North. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, they do. Um, so yeah, pretty entertaining game. I love the Byron Cardwell shout, and he is actually a big reason why I had this, I had Colorado at my number five spot. Um, super entertaining game from purely like an Oregon winning big perspective. It wasn't super competitive. Um, we got a little bit of Ty Thompson, maybe not the type we wanted uh, <laughs> with his like, <laughs> didn't he throw like three passes, I think. And one of them was a pick. So that wasn't yeah. great, but yeah, this offense, man, was just absolutely on one, especially in the first half. Cardwell was a beast, um, getting a lot of carries. Uh, yeah, this was the first time I'd been in the box in Autzen, so that was a lot of fun. Um, 
and just seeing Oregon ball out in that beautiful yellow was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, that's why I had it at my number four spot. Um, there you go. And yeah, I mean, it was just an offensive show really. Uh, I think definitely the best game Anthony Brown played 25 for 31, oh, yeah. 300 yards passing three touchdowns. Um, and, uh, this was the game where other than that Ty Thompson, uh, interception, Oregon scored a touchdown on every drive and one field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. Uh, and for a team where we talked about the offense struggling so much, um, it was just a really fun game to see. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was I, interesting, too, because the whole scouting report on Colorado was their defense is great, almost elite, actually, in Pac-12 terms, but their offense was terrible. And, of yeah. course, the script was flipped on us during that game as well. So that that's that was a contributing factor as well to my putting it so high. Um, I had one more comment about that game, and I can't remember. Oh. No, I, I can't remember it. Number four, I had UCLA. Um, this was both a great highlight game, like the Colorado game, and a great entertainment-wise game. Uh, lots of points both ways. Obviously, a big, big 14-point deficit to just start off the game was nerve-wracking. Um, but, you know, national game, and Oregon came through and dominated pretty much all of the second and third quarters from what I can remember. Um, you had the Travis Dye getting four carries in a row for four touchdowns. There were just a lot of those kind of weird nuggets, you know, those weird tidbits that will stick out for a while. It was the eggshell jerseys, it was in the Rose Bowl, although a cloudy Rose Bowl. I don't know. It was just all this weird stuff was going on that game. And I love that stuff. That's what makes college football special to me. So, um, And it was an important game as well, obviously, in week eight, the heart of the season. Uh, Oregon was coming off of, as we mentioned, a disappointing result against Cal, or disappointing performance. Um, and yeah, it was it was good to win this one. Yeah, I'll that's why I got it. I'll I'll be transparent and say my UCLA game I had it at number two uh, for a lot of the same wow. reasons that you said. Um, I think we both talked about rewatchability a lot, uh, and honestly, I think that. For me, this by probably a decent margin, the second most rewatchable game uh, mm. of the season. Um, all the fanfare around it. I mean, game day, the jerseys, you know, Oregon going back against Chip Kelly. Um, and to go down 14 nothing, and then dig your way out and look really good. And then it slips back away. And then the ending is, is really awesome. Um, and... You know, to add on to that, just that UCLA, it was also a really big turning point in the season. It was really significant um, mm-hmm. to have that road trip to UCLA that at the time looked like, um, I mean, they looked like basically like them in Utah were pretty even at that point in terms of like South Powers and Arizona State was in that conversation as well. Um, yeah, because Utah didn't beat UCLA until the week after. Right, exactly. And and Utah was still even more outsized looking at what they had done in the non-conference, uh, which we obviously learned that Utah was a different <laughs> team than that. But at the time, it was like, um, you know, the talk after the Ohio State game 
was largely okay we got a pretty easy run until that road trip to ucla uh and so to get through that test and to look ahead and see colorado the next week i just remember like a huge (laughs) sense of relief like oregon did it um it was a really fun game uh and it was one of those games where you get to have all the kind of excitement of a close win Mm -hmm. but on top of that you know it's high stakes um so you don't have to feel bad about it. I mean, Oregon wasn't favored to win the game even. It's not embarrassing to only beat them by 3-1. Uh, and then two, even though it's a close game, I actually felt like Oregon played better than the three-point win. Um, they controlled the game even more than that, it seemed like. So I felt really positive about what the team was. So that's why I had them all, had that game all the way up at two. Yeah, I mean, if I hadn't been atten- in attendance for the, the pair of games above it... Um for my two and three spots, then I, I definitely would have had UCLA higher. Uh, yeah. You're right. I mean, from pure rewatchability standpoint, probably a clear two. Um, for me, though, my number three was the Beaver game. Mm-hmm. You know, Civil War is always nice to see. God, I keep calling it the Civil War. Uh, <laughs> we got to put out, like, an official podcast, like, press release on which one we're sticking with because I keep forgetting. But anyways, um, again, super entertaining game just from, like, a – football standpoint like a uh i guess more of a tactical standpoint uh there was no other game i really other than ohio state there was no other game i did more research on going in Mm. um and it was the game i had the most fun at this season Uh, senior day was obviously great um i it was a good like time of day and everything like it wasn't freezing cold outside So, yeah, it was fun. I had a great time at the Oregon State game. And even though I think it finished, what, nine point? It was a nine-point margin of victory. um, It still felt like we were in in control the entire game. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's more the nostalgic factors that boost this one up to three for me. But, I mean, you haven't mentioned it yet either, so it's pretty high for you as well, huh? Yeah, it's my my number three as well. Um, So, yeah, and for the same reasons, this was the one game I got to attend in person this year. So that was really fun. Um, You know, obviously comes after that tough performance at Utah. uh, And to respond like this was good. Senior day was good. I mean, Oregon played really well. 24-3 in the first half was really good. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, Oregon-Oregon State's just fun to me. You know, like the UW game, there's some real hatred there, and you're kind of on edge for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this game is kind of, I mean, especially when it's played like this in late fall, um, you know, right after Thanksgiving, it's just kind of like a, a happy time. Um, and it feels like kind of a celebration of the state of Oregon a bit. I mean, obviously there's some mm-hmm. rivalry there, and especially the Beavs really don't like Oregon fans, but... It's cool just, you know, the green and orange on the field and you look out, you know, over uh, outside of Autzen and you have the trees all changing colors and stuff. Like, it just feels like a really, it feels very Oregon. Um, And so for that reason, like, I I just love going to Civil War games or Oregon-Oregon State games, I should say. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was number three. It was one of the, a great game for sure. And your four was Colorado, right? Yeah. Number two, uh, I'm sure you can figure it out by now. For me, it's UW. Um, 
This was my second ever road game that I've ever been to. The first one was in Reezer in 2016. So obviously this is a much improved experience. Um, it was my first time in <laughs> oh, Seattle. And, yeah, no, the that was all game. Yeah, okay. it was a rude introduction uh, to my Pac-12 away experience. Um, but it was great. I went there with my editor Shane, and we covered it. Um, it was a lot of fun. Drank like six cups of coffee just to keep myself warm up there because I had the windows <laughs> open in the box. Um, but yeah, again, from an, <laughs> I I guess I've been using different frames of thinking for all of these, like. This was an ugly game. Uh, you talked about it earlier. I don't need to go over it that much. Everyone listening to this watched it. I would still love to rewatch it purely for the last like 30 seconds of the highlight package where Jimmy Lake refuses to go for it on fourth down and the punt goes over the punt or the snap goes over the punter's head. Um, yeah. That that was just pure joy for me. I I've never smiled wider without like laughing. I think ever. Um, and then I got afterwards, I got to meet up with a friend and go explore the city a little bit, which is not something I've ever really done in Seattle. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, overall experience made this the second best one of the season for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I said why I had it sixth before. Um, and I, I, I'm not that committed to that ranking. Right. I mean, it took, yeah, we, we did it. We pretty quickly. Quick. I think it's yeah. funny because it's one of those games where, um, it produces like an absolutely awesome, like three minute Twitter clip, you know, stitched together <laughs> by like legalized quack. Yep, exactly. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like the actual experience of like the three hours of watching the game was pretty <laughs> disgusting. Um, but ultimately a Washington win and, you know the fan reactions huddled up in the cold and the picture of the <laughs> mostly empty stadium and the post-game st- speech yeah <laughs> uh all that stuff was awesome Love it. yeah the yeah. club um mario trying to run up the score on jimmy lake yeah this effectively being jimmy lake's curtain call that was pretty nice too yeah that part of it too the aftermath of it definitely like there's going to be some lore around this 2021 game uh in terms of just like the end of the lake era yeah uw goes on to lose to they blow a game against or not blow a game but um they lose at home to asu and then next week they they lost to colorado um so yeah i Again, the UW collapse is just yeah, kind of what made this. Yeah, they don't win another so game after this. No, uh, yeah, they, Stanford was their last win of the year. Um, so yeah, real quick, let's just let's just take a look at this. Now that I have it in front of me, I'm actually paying attention to it. UW had four wins this season. They were against Arkansas State at home, Cal at home in overtime in their for, in week four to make it two and two. And then they beat Arizona on the road, barely. Again, they maybe should have lost that game. And then Stanford on the road. Uh, not a great resume. Not a great year. He finishes the same record as Colorado um, and also lost to them. So. I want to I pull up a stat here real quick. Um, Please. I just have to verify that this is true. Um, <laughs> give me one second. It's I really think... that unbelievable. Oh, no. Well, I was going to say that um, I was going to try to see if Washington trailed every game against the 
not Arkansas State in the fourth quarter. <laughs> they trailed the Zona game in the fourth quarter somehow. Um, but they were tied with they were tied with Cal. Sadly, because mm. they, they trailed. I mean, they Sorry. trailed the Stanford game late. <laughs> like very like they score. I don't remember much of that game. Yeah, um, I was more focused on OSU and Cal at the time, but I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken. Yeah, no, they score. Uh, I think they're down thirteen twelve with, according to ESPN, with with three minutes left. And they go to love a good old fashioned thirteen twelve. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, all right, man. Uh, we've made it to the top, and everybody who. <laughs> is listening to this already knows what it is um so for one last time let us wax about the glory that was uh september 11th oh god that didn't end up <laughs> very well shit 2021 um <laughs> in the horseshoe what i remember from this day is waking up in portland with my family uh school hadn't started yet and the first thing I did, I went online to confirm the rumors that I ultimately was fearing the whole time, which is that KT and Justin Flo were both out for this game. Um, and I kind of just had a stoic impression upon everything until the game began. You know, I watched the whole big noon BS with Bob Stoops and everybody like picking Ohio State unanimously. Um, I watched a sea of red outside in that sort of college game day-esque setting. Uh, and I remember just not really being fearful, not really being optimistic, just kind of sitting there and taking it all in. Uh, and eventually it paid off. Once the game started, I was a nervous wreck, of course. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I, I... And I think of the sun like shining through my dining room as we recorded post-game <laughs> and just knowing that that would be like the happiest moment. Uh, that I would have for a while as an Oregon fan. So, yeah. What do you remember from this? What, like, what do you take away from that day? Yeah, I think I remember I, the funny thing for me is, so, you know, I was, I ended up watching this game back in Portland because Hurricane Ida came through uh, New Orleans. So I got, mm-hmm. you know, relocated back out here and I came back to Portland with some friends um and i remember i I remember sitting in a bar the night before with a few of my friends and i was just like i could not process anything i was just like we are going into the shoe tomorrow Kayvon's probably not playing like we've waited over two years for this opportunity it's been circled on the calendar and we're down everyone like we're down our we're down our player who's supposed to make the entire difference and be the guy who who maybe leveled the playing field and then waking up and and i forget when exactly the flow thing came out in the week but um i don't i don't remember whether we knew more than the day of that that was happening i guess it, it was trickling out before a bit yeah the night before is when i became maybe it was two nights before because i remember talking to our, our mutual friend in the uh, Oregon building about it the night before um, and having my worst fears confirmed. Um, 
yeah before game day even started yeah and then i just remember you know watching game day that morning and to talk about it just oh what a great game this could have been like oh it's so sad <laughs> you know ohio state's gonna win by like 20 plus and i think people just do i, I also want to say like people forget just how insane it was before that game like yeah. legitimately that people were like well cave on out and now justin flow out like oregon is gonna get ran by 21 points and then another aspect of it was oregon hadn't played in a road environment in like two years yeah yeah <laughs> like people forget that too like going into the shoe like that everyone talked about how big of a deal that was going to be people forget about the 9 a.m thing where everyone this game's yep. played at 9 a.m pacific oh oregon's not gonna be able to wake up 9 a.m pacific like that was a Conversely, huge thing ohio state's first home game first true home game in over right. in a whole season right because they big 10 didn't have fans in attendance uh for their 2020 either yeah so that stuff was like just everything around this was so made oregon seem like they were such huge underdogs um and then the game was just crazy i mean one of the craziest ducks <laughs> games i've seen where they just hung around um and just kind of did a great job of just keeping ohio state at bay like just keeping them from you know clicking into it and getting comfortable um mm -hmm. you know, and even at times when they were comfortable i mean i think of the first drive of that game so yep. you know when you do the rewatch like what's it's funny to rewatch it because i remember these thoughts racing through my mind again i had done so much prep for this game i had scouted the hell out of ohio state and i mean yeah. it didn't take much scouting to realize that oh they have three nfl wide receivers on the field at once and our biggest question mark on the entire team is our secondary and has been all off season like yeah and i think dj james and jamal hill and jamal are hill, suspended yep. for game one <laughs> and this is their first game back too yeah that was what yep. ended up, yeah and that was like the only positive thing you could take pregame. Yeah. Um, and even so, it was like, okay, these guys haven't played in like a year. They missed a ton um, of camp. <laughs> yeah, like we really don't know how this is going to go. But yeah, man, I've never yeah. seen a better demonstration of just pure grit from an Oregon team um, yeah. in quite some time. Again, I mean, we can talk about how the, the game flow and went and everything, but overall, I mean it was just beautiful to see guys like play their asses off for 60 minutes and have it pay off at the end of the game. And really, um, I'm really like seriously earned the win. Like that's Oregon didn't yeah, like block yeah. a punt, you know, to swing the game in the fourth quarter, um, you know, or something like that, where it was like, Oh Jesus, they got the break when they need to like Oregon was in control. And, you know, I go back to one moment I remember is that, uh, drive Oregon has at the end of the first half where mm -hmm. there's that yes. total phantom hold and Oregon set up within the 10 yard line and their phantom hold stalls the drive and just like stewing for that entire half like we're in the shoe this is such a huge game yep. and we just got yep. robbed of seven fucking points like that we need the, those points I was just like you know I mean I was trying to be positive and you know I, it wasn't <laughs> over or anything but it was like 
fuck, dude. We're in the shoe. Like, we can't lose <laughs> seven points that we fucking earned. Um, yeah, you know, so that was that was crazy. But, you know, they didn't need those points in the end. And even, like, Ohio State, some of those late drives, a lot of them, you know, they need to convert some fourth downs here and there. Um, like, it was a battle all the way. Um and it felt mm-hmm. like Ohio State was going to turn it around at the end there and the Verone interception. And I mean, yeah, let's just... be honest. Like, if this game goes on for 30 more minutes, I don't, or even like you add an extra quarter to it, I don't know if I like Oregon's chances as much, but the game isn't played for 75 minutes. It's just 60. And yeah. we won those 60. Um, I'm trying to think of other just lasting moments I have from that game. The duck on the field was pretty cute at the end. That that was awesome. The duck just like chilling in his chair. The duck mascot. Uh, that yeah. was great. You had the Ohio State band leader like taking a face plant. Um, again, you guys, if you haven't seen legalized quacks videos on YouTube, or sorry, on Twitter, I think he posted them on YouTube. As yeah, well. yeah. Um, the the Ohio State one is probably my favorite from this season, um, just because he he really captures the specific things that experts said we wouldn't do. You know, we wouldn't be able to hold our own on the line of scrimmage. We wouldn't be able to stop Ohio state in the red zone. Like we wouldn't be able to do all these things. And then, you know, you have Noah Sewell like stacking up. I think it was Mayan Williams on fourth down in the first half. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was Henderson. Um, You know, you had Verone making the interception along the sideline uh, to seal it. You had like, Oregon dominating the trenches on offense. It was it was really beautiful to see. Yeah, um, getting that sack at the end from DJ Johnson. Like, what a perfect uh, metaphor for like the way we fought in that game is having a guy who moved over to tight end go back to D line and then get the game winning sack at the end. Uh, and that was great. Braden Swinson coming out party. That's a yeah, definitely. You know, don't want to have that overshadowed. I don't know. You got any other lasting impressions from this game? Just tiny little memories. Um, I that I think that that moment where Noah gets that stuff uh, to end the to set up that final drive in the second half or in the first half where it looked like Oregon might score on that fourth down, where mm-hmm. Noah gets that stuff was that was one of the moments where I like. I started to hope a bit. Yes, you know? yes. You like allow when, yourself to start thinking it might. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, holy shit! If we can, if we can go up two scores going into the half, like that's actually like a meaningful lead, like at a significant point in the game. Um, yeah, it was just awesome. I think the stuff you pointed out. I mean, yeah, DJ getting that last sack was was awesome. Um, just like having it be this ragtag group, the guts of it. I mean, Verone's interception is so cool, but I kind of like that this game didn't have a ton of those plays. You know, I mean, you go mm-hmm. back to like the it last was steady time, domination. Yeah, the last time we played Ohio State. I mean, obviously, I would have made no complaints about winning that game, but like, uh, just all those turnovers that we got in that game or the Florida State game before that in the playoff, like, those are mm-hmm. great fun plays to watch, but they are there's something that feels, you know, fluky about them, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. And so to just have this, like you said, be so steady was, was really cool. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, uh, like the win probability chart from this game and it was so cool to just see like 
at the beginning, I mean, it starts at Ohio State is they give them an 85% chance to win the game before it started. Uh, this is just based on like ESPN yeah. win probability indexes. Um, and then it just steadily flips. There's no like one moment where it just becomes like almost inevitable that Oregon wins. It's, it's a very steady climb the other direction. Uh, and still lots of big moments flying back and forth in that second half too. Yeah, but that's how it felt too, right? I mean, it was kind mm-hmm. of like going the whole time it was steady like that. I mean, until there was always that crack open for, you know, Ohio State until the very end of like, mm-hmm. are, could, they can still pull this back at any moment, kind of like what they did to Utah in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. ultimately Oregon just, yeah, held on. Yeah, it's I was always game for sure. Definitely, man. I was always fearing that type of explosion uh, that they got against Utah um, during this game. But, yeah, very glad they didn't have that. Um, and, yeah, the last thing I want to say about this is, like, anytime you beat a team or anytime you lose a game, like, the losing team's fans are going to be angry about something, right? They need to put blame on something or someone. Usually it's the refs uh, or usually it's just like, oh, we're not good enough. <laughs> I mean – when a guy visibly gets punished and blamed, I'm talking about Kerry Coombs, for a loss in a game, like that just shows that you were better than them. And that that really, and I think about the aftermath of that game, you know, different pundits talking about the game. They always just had this tone, man. They were surprised by how good Oregon was the entire game. And like we didn't really know, think they were capable of that kind of dominance and all this stuff. And it was like so validating to hear that. And then, frankly, yeah. to watch Ohio State for the rest of the season was, in a way, I mean, we couldn't really get that validation from our own team, but seeing Ohio State just blow through their schedule was um, pretty nice to see uh, yeah. towards the end of the year. So yeah. It was also kind of cool to see that Michigan game at the end of it where yeah. Michigan did some of the same things that Oregon did, and it kind of was just nice to be like, this wasn't a total mirage, you know, like, these are flaws that Ohio state did have that Oregon like actually took a, took advantage of in a real football game mm-hmm. and other teams on Ohio state schedule weren't able to do that except for the really good team. <laughs> Michigan and, state. <laughs> and, and even Michigan, you know, yeah, they did that, but let's keep in mind. I mean, yes, CJ Stroud, I think it's worth, mentioning that he obviously got more comfortable over the season i think that that was a big thing but at the same time like michigan you know that game was played in ann arbor in the pouring down snow like there could not have been a more perfect kind of game setup for that and like oh by the way you know look at what aiden hutchinson did in that game and Mm -hmm. our aiden hutchinson wasn't on the field right yeah so yeah yeah. i i don't know i mean i think obviously some pac-12 fans get frustrated about oregon bringing up this game over and over again but when it's just us talking within the oregon family it's like you know it was it was just an awesome moment also it's worth mentioning though also i mean we talked about this at the time and we've mentioned it throughout the year who else has that kind of win period yeah like in our i can't think of one in our lifetimes like i'm talking about other pac-12 teams like who else has had a win of that magnitude 
Right. Not since I mean, the US maybe you would days, say like right? I was gonna say yeah, like maybe winning the Rose Bowl, like or USC winning national yeah. titles and Pete Carroll era, like yeah, yeah but, that those were still neutral site games usually, you know. It wasn't a true road environment. I'm not saying that like <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I rather would have had that than than just a road win against Ohio State. But I mean, in terms of diff- raw difficulty, I mean, and overcoming that sort of those sort of odds, like you just don't really see that. Yeah. Uh, and mind you, within the context of the that entire day, September 11th, week two, uh, you had UW getting their shit kicked out by Michigan. Um, you had Colorado playing a very close game against number five, Texas A&M in Denver, which was super entertaining. Uh, you had USC getting blown out by Stanford in the Coliseum, which was like the, was that Clay Helton's last game? Or I think it was. Um, so yeah, there was just a lot of good football on that day. Uh, and the pack amongst PAC 12 teams, even if it wasn't all positive for them, it was just entertaining to see. But yeah. my, my point being, like, it validated that we were, like, still kings in the Pac-12. Yeah, and there's just nothing more fun than your team taking care of business on, you know, on a Saturday, yep. especially yep. early, and, and you just get to sit back and, you know, critique everyone else and uh, enjoy the rest of the day of football, knowing that your your team's big test, big job's done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, man. I think we've exhausted that. Um, <laughs> we mentioned, do you want to talk about the Rose Bowl a bit since we just mentioned that? Or do you want to do superlatives or maybe save those? Uh, or whatever. We can run through superlatives quickly if you want to do that. Um, yeah, let's like do we it. We talked about the time of the season, but now's kind of probably the time to do it. Um, all right. What do you want to, let's start with uh, breakout players of the year for offense and defense. Okay. Maybe okay. That. We also have offensive and defensive freshmen. So, I mean, just keep that in mind when we're coming up with names here. Right. Um, on defense, I think it's got to be Verone. Um, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't really see an argument for anyone else. Anyone else. Maybe you got one. Um, yeah. I think that two guys that I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, there's a few. I think uh, I think I'll go with the guys that I'm not going to choose. DJ James uh, stepped into a you know big role and and deserve credit for that. Obviously, he's not with the program anymore, so probably not going to pick mm-hmm. that one. Um, <laughs> but shout out to him for what he did. I mean, that's not like I hate him now or anything, but um, I think that the other two that I'm really down to here are are. Um, Bennett Williams and Braden Switson, and it's a little tough because mm. both of them kind of played, you know, not full seasons. Yeah. But Bennett, I mean, it's tough to forget how awesome he was. Um, yeah. In there. Yeah. Are we, well, oh, here's the question: Are we doing true freshmen or are we doing? Um, I don't know. Well, because I'll just say it now: I was going to pick Jeff Bossa for freshman. Um, right. But that's also a good candidate. See, there's a lot of overlap here, right? That that would also be a great candidate for breakout. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's got to yeah. be Verone, though. I mean, from going to, like, 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, he I was a starting Verone's... safety. What? I think Verona is the pick. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, from going like, the career arc is great, right? The the Bo Nix game, as a freshman, and then and then ending up being like a All American or second team or whatever, like going to the draft. That's that's great for him. I'm super happy for Verone. Uh, one of the like most put together football players I've ever encountered. Um, yeah, great leader. Really happy that Verone was a part of this team. And honestly, without him, we would have been screwed this season. So, uh, yeah, kudos to the general. Yeah, it's awesome seeing his holdover from being part of that 2019 group and still and kind of being the guy who stayed along. I mean, there's a few others in that group, but he was a big part of it and, and then kind mm-hmm. of stayed along and ushered in this new era too. Um, yeah, I like that. Definitely. Um, what about on the offensive side? Do we want to do, should we try to agree on these? Maybe they'll be like our podcast certified <laughs> picks. Sure. Sure. So I, I, like I think Verone's pretty clear one there. Yeah. Um, gosh, offense breakout players on offense. Um, I mean, you can't really count. I, I think Chris Hudson is going to be my pick. Chris Hudson deserves a shout. I was just thinking that too. Um, yeah, I mean, don't want to do the true freshman like we said for this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, TJ Bass definitely deserves a shout. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Bass and Walk. Even. Yeah. I mean, I guess Walk has been around, but I mean, the way he played in that Ohio State game with those uh, pulls to get the touchdowns was phenomenal. Yeah, um, no doubt. I think I like Hudson, though. I mean, like looking forward, I think that the, the growth we saw out of Hudson this year is probably the most significant. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like other than Bass is close in though. terms of expectations. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, let me just jot these down before I forget them. Um, all right. Wait. Freshman now? Yeah, let's Defense. Freshman. Yeah. Defense. Bassa? It's got to be, right? It's got to be. Man, I was feel like we awesome. haven't been talking about Bassa recently. Like, it's crazy how, and this is a testament to how well he's fit into the defense. I keep forgetting that he's, like, out there when I watch games. I guess the games are over now. But even in the Oklahoma game, I was like, oh. Like, we have Jeff Boss on the team. That's right. Like, he's really fucking good. <laughs> yeah. As somebody who wasn't getting any playing time at the start of the year. Um, yeah, it's pretty tough to even come up with a counter-argument here. Um, if Flo had a full season, and, I mean, it yeah, would I mean, maybe be him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, technically he's a... Well, he's, I guess, a true freshman by eligibility, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, not part of the 21 class, obviously. Yeah. I, I don't even know who else it could be. Um, I mean, you know, some of those corners like Dickerson got some run in there, but I mean, it's not close to what Bassa did. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe All Swinson, right. but again, he didn't have the impact that Jeff did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's also, again, not a, not, a, not a part of the 21 class. Um, offense. Yeah. Yep. Um, offense. Man, I well, yeah. I think it's got to be Byron, right? Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. Opening shot. That dude is awesome. It was, it was kind of funny um, seeing Byron's mom was on Twitter and just like, oh, the like the Ducks family is so supportive. They're like showing so much love to my son. Like they no one no better fan base or something. I don't know something like that. I forget what she. It's like I I definitely appreciate the sentiment and yes, like I do like the I I mean I'm part of the Oregon fan base. I have pride in that, but I'm also like, I mean. <laughs> any side. fan base is gonna <laughs> yeah there's a dark side and like you know luckily your kid is absolutely an awesome player like <laughs> so any fan base is gonna gonna be pretty positive about him like he's one of the best running backs you know in this class um yeah, yeah. it was just it was just funny it's like uh anthony brown's mom might have a different tone <laughs> but you know i um that was just a funny thing. But, I mean, Byron has had an awesome year. Um, a lot of good freshmen on offense, though, for sure. I mean. Um, yeah, just not enough reps for Franklin and Thornton to take this one. Yeah, but exactly. The tight ends, actually, low-key, maybe Matavao or Ferguson is a shout. If they didn't split reps and it was all one person doing everything they did, then I think it's got to be, it would have to be that combination of person. But Yeah, they were awesome. Um, I mean, the running back just gets featured a little more, you know, with how awesome mm-hmm. Byron was and that there's just a, a little more optimism about that. And, uh, and Jax Powers Johnson definitely deserves a shout. I mean, him in the Oklahoma game was awesome. Like if, <laughs> if he'd been playing defensive line the whole year, maybe he'd be in the conversation with Boston <laughs> on the defensive side. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Um, what I'll should we next. do next? You, you can you can choose where to go. Um, let's I'm do. Uh, let's just do plays of the year, or play of okay. the year. Um, let me pull up the schedule and just get another thought. I mean, we just talked through it for an hour, but <laughs> 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 what were the big ones? Going through it, I mean, the um, Verdell run has got to yeah. be up there. Yeah, I don't want to bury the lead, but the Verdell run is is probably gonna get it um dj james interception definitely deserves a mention uh in the ucla game in the ucla game yeah i thought that was awesome um this maybe wasn't representative of the whole season but uh the ab runs ab had a lot of good touchdown runs this year that kind of got overshadowed by his arm yeah um Honestly, that that KT strip sack against Fresno, man. I mean, that was yeah. just. I that might be the play where I yelled the loudest. I know it. It was so good because I think <laughs> there was like in the off season, you know, everyone has way too much time to talk, and of yeah. course, they're just as like the inevitable. Like, is Kayvon really that good? Yeah, really yeah. be a number one pick, and then you just see him do it. Jesus, like this guy just. <laughs> murdered a dude and took the ball like a good quarterback and it was like oh my god this guy is amazing um yeah that was awesome what pick six against arizona the club interception against u-dub i gotta give love to that um yeah just in terms of like physical difficulty he's literally has one hand and he's going up and making the play um i mean Am I allowed to submit the the safety against you, Dub? 
like yeah. <laughs> at the end of the game because I, I I would put that in my top five. I think definitely um, good finalists. Honestly, a lot of Oklahoma plays are going to make it in there. Both those deep, all those deep bombs were awesome to watch. Yeah, damn straight. Um, and that I oh, the big Cardwell run from the Colorado game was awesome. Again, yeah. just as kind of a carrying the torch type deal. But uh, I I feel weird giving it to that Verdell run because I mean I love CJ Verdell obviously I shouldn't have to say that we he you know gets injured during the Stanford game so he wasn't a huge part of our season overall physically I mean he gets caught on the play but does a great job of just staying up it's just a terrible tackle attempt by the safety and it's just it's literally just like a dive up the middle. I mean, it wasn't like a crazy, like, bomb or anything. Yeah, right. So I have some reservations about having that as the play of the year, but, I mean, unless you say otherwise, I think that's what I, what we got to go with. Yeah, I, I think that's what it's got to be, right? I, just the significance of it and everything. I, I think it's got to be the Verdell run. Yeah. Uh, this season didn't have that many crazy like um, pick sixes, scoop and scores, special mm-hmm. teams touchdowns. Did we have and a single special teams touchdown? I don't think so. Damn. Yeah. That's yeah. Fortunate. We gave up. We gave up one. <laughs> Thanks um, for the reminder. <laughs> So, all right yeah i'm down i'm down for that yeah, yeah okay maybe great. what about defensive play of the year you got one there oh defense i think it's dj oh, james interception oh okay okay what are you gonna say i still think cave on uh against fresno it was just insane yeah um yeah <laughs> all right let's keep this thing moving um do you want to just go down the list here? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Maybe our most off-the-wall category. <laughs> uh, you going to do uniforms here? Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to add a fun one in here, so we figured uniforms would be a good place to do it. Um, we've talked about this, but – and th- these – I don't think these were my favorites, but the eggshells, man. I'm a big eggshell guy. I like it. I like the – whatever you want to call it, speckles, cookies, and cream, all that stuff. I liked it. I thought it was a great look. Even if we got demolished in it in the Pac-12 title game, uh, I thought we looked great against that uh, classic UCLA, like, golden blue. Um, yeah. That's not my favorite, but I just want to throw that out there. What do you yeah. think your favorite is? Definitely think that deserves a shout. I, I think my favorite is um... – this is the black ones that we wore against Cal. Yeah, I really like yeah. those. I'm kind of I'm I'm pretty disappointed that they're they were like just so short lived. It felt like um, the helmet's awesome with the fade. Obviously, they use that again with the green jerseys. Um, but the all blacks were nice. I really like that jersey. Um, yeah, that's yeah. a great shout. Those were a super clean look. Yeah, um, I was gonna mention that but all whites were were fun definitely in the shoe whites are good i'm a big fan of the i don't don't really like the white and green like white top green pants on the road 
Yeah. Really, and it's not just because we lost in it. I genuinely just don't really like that look very much. Um, I do like the white and yellow. I think those go very well together. Um, that was UW where we wore that. I don't know. I think just the basic, like the all yellows were good against Stony Brook and also the, um, the yellow and black against Colorado was awesome. What did you think of the, of the, uh, black, green, black for Arizona? Yeah. I liked it. I, I still prefer like monotone over the green and black. Yeah. It was kind of weird, Um, but I, I, I like that it happened. It was my favorite, but I liked that it happened. Yeah, it made sense. Yeah. It's dude, I'm having a hard time not like picking I might have to go with those all blacks against Cal because of that helmet, man. The helmet with the the black helmet with the green and yellow like mixed uh wings on it. That is beautiful. I think that's I think that's my pick. I like it. I like it. What about worst? Worst. Oh man. Let me click through some of these and see what I think. You know, Maybe pers- the Fresno game? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are just so. I'm kind of, if I'm being honest, I was big on the apple green for a while. I'm kind of over it. Less? Yeah. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I've been watching some older highlights recently and like the dark green is just so nice especially with like black yeah it pairs so much better than the light green Um, yeah yeah i think that's i think that's fair um i was never a huge nightmare green guy but it looked fine on its own but when you mix it in with stuff it didn't look as good i don't know i don't love the all i don't love the all yellows personally they're Mm. fine but I, i just don't love them i've just seen them so many times i guess yeah, I I, yeah. I mean I know we're getting them. We always do, we always do them for like a, the FCS game. It feels like, yeah, it's it's fine. How um, do you feel about um? How do you feel about the green and white at home? I really like those white helmets with the green, but I I'm not con- I'm not sold on like the I think the it was Wazoo the Wazoo game. game. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like it. I do like it. I think hmm. it's kind of kind of clean. Um. I like it more than the other way. I think I like it more green Jersey and white accessories than I would, um, white, white Jersey, Jersey and green yeah. accessories, which is what we did against Utah the first time. I didn't love those. I, didn't I love agree. Those. I agree. Um, I do. I like the tradition of wearing green or yellow against Oregon state. Yeah. Um, especially cause those are the first fans to make fun of us when we like wear it in a national title game, which has so many layers of iron where when we don't wear it in a title game which just has so many layers of irony that i'm not even gonna start to unpack them but um i don't know it's kind of like a nice here we're you know beating you and we're also like wearing our colors which you always love us love for us to do or whatever uh kind of same similar logic with u-dub right i like the touch of yellow getting in there um i don't know man but those are so nice the yellow and whites i can't get off of that I think uh, I think the first Utah game is probably my least favorite. Isn't that just the same thing we had against Stanford? Oh, I think it well, was. If that's, if that's the case, then we definitely have to do that as least favorite. I think that's, that's definitely yeah. The, that's easily. Oh least no, favorite. we wore white helmets against Stanford. 
Oh, okay, okay. But it was, it was almost similar. I think yeah, I the like green, uh, the green helmets are kind of my low end on helmets. I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. Utah second one is the least favorite uniforms. Um, what's next on this list? Oh, most representative game. Yeah. So this one, we're yes. kind of like, what game encapsulated the season the best? You know, like what if you were just to show someone one game of like this is what 2021 Oregon was. Which game would it be? Um, do you want to go first if you have one loaded up? The UCLA game's the one I'm drawn to. Cause you have I like the, that shout. You have, you have screwing around in the first half, then coming back, then screwing around again. But ultimately pulling it out, which they did more times than not. So UCLA is the one that I... And I kept, I mean, a line I used a lot during the season was Oregon wanted to win, like, every game 34 to, you know, 24 or something, or 31, like, in that Mm -hmm. range, and that's what that game was. I don't know, I might go with, like, ironically, I I think it might be Ohio State for me, because (laughs) we start the season hot, right? We, (laughs) We come out on, you know, playing better than everyone expected. Uh, and then as the game wore on, you mentioned that moment at the end of the first half where it's kind of like an oh shit moment. I mean, you could equate that to like the Stanford game. And then we kind of get hot and just kind of, we get to 10 wins and that's like getting the job done. But there was never like an emphatic like finishing touch. So maybe yeah. the UW game works better for this, for the way I'm thinking about it. Right, because yeah, although although we didn't accomplish like the ultimate goal at the end of the season, like although Mario tried to run up the score and it never happened, we just couldn't get there. I don't know. This is a tough one because of how the season ended. You know, there's probably an argument for the Stanford game because yeah, we yeah. looked really good for a lot of the time, and there's kind of like a belief that we we're a much better team. But ultimately, the I mean, the end of the season feels like that collapse at the end of the Stanford game, for sure. Really? I, I, I guess I get it, but... I mean, I the know. two Utah results are so bad. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know, I could see that, but I'm glad we asked this question. It's a very, I don't know, maybe like Fresno, low-key. <laughs> maybe maybe fresno but again it's hard because yeah. you have that like you have i mean we lost the last fresno three of our last four games good. you know we didn't end the game we didn't end the game slash season in this metaphor very well right but we still i mean i still feel like it was a net success you know the fresno like start of it being like oh my god we're the best team in the country <laughs> is is yeah. like works definitely but the ending yeah yeah i don't know if it's easy to to pick one i mean honestly we could probably make an argument for any of these except maybe ou at the end well, of the, the year the utah game would would be tough to argue for yeah true but most yeah. of them yeah i again we kind of mentioned this earlier but we just had so many similar games throughout this entire season yeah, um for sure i mean pretty much that like every conference game that wasn't stanford or utah followed a pretty similar script except maybe colorado 
Yeah. Um, just something to think about. Do we have an official ruling? I like UCLA. I'll stick yeah, with that. I think UCLA is probably where I lean in the end of the day. Sweet. Yeah, man, I do I do need to do a rewatch of that. I think I don't think I've perused those highlights since that game week. So I need to go back and and check that out. Alright, we got two more superlatives, and then we'll do a little bit of uh truck stops football talk and then uh we'll get out of here so before we do just player mvps a category we snuck in at the last minute here most underrated and overhated players read that slowly underrated and overhated (laughs) okay we want to start are we doing offense and defense sure Okay, uh, well, we started with defense before, so we can start with that again. Um, un- we can start underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be Big Doorless, right? Yeah, I think so. Or is he starting to get rated? He's starting <laughs> to be rated is the only issue. Um, that's the big That's the big problem. He's starting to be rated. Um, Maybe Bossa again? Or like... Uh, I want to say McHale because he doesn't get a ton of buzz, even though people just kind of know he's good. I feel like people don't actually watch him be good, you know? I don't know if that qualifies, though. Yeah. For underrated. I think um, Popo deserves something. I mean, I like that. Sometimes it's tough for me to know, like, what how people rate some of these guys, even though I spend a lot of time on Twitter, I'm just like, so I don't know. I pour over the stuff to an extent where it's like, I, I know what I rate them. I don't yeah, necessarily yeah. pay attention. Yeah. Um, maybe, uh, how about this? Like relative to what they actually did and what you would expect of them, like Nate Hukalani. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. know. I'm cool with Popo though. I think that's a good shout. Popo yeah. There. Yeah. Right. I like. I like Popo. Most overhated defensive player. Who gets the most crap when they shouldn't on defense? Um. Mikhail got some crap that was kind of ridiculous. I thought. DJ did yeah. too. A lot of the cor- yeah. corners always kind of do. Um, yeah, that's true. I, I could I could see the argument there. Maybe Happel. Yeah, I think that's true. Actually, Happel. Actually... We hate on. We used to hate on Happel a ton <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah, I think no. I think I, I like that actually. I think Happel's earned that distinction. He had an awesome year. Offense. Um, I mean, does AB have to be overhated? Like, can we get overhated out of the way? Is it AB? Maybe Travis, but he's not really overhated anymore. He's been so good that, like, Loki Oregon fans at least respect him. Like, Ryan Walk Ooh. has kind of that Happel, like, it, it's even worse than Happel because Walk should have never been hated. Yeah. But people. I, just... I don't really see a lot of Walk hate, though, to be honest. Yeah, it's gotten less and less. But there's some people who just get the Walk on off the field, you know? And it's like, 
one of our better offensive linemen. But mm. uh, yeah, mm. Mm. maybe like Micah. Well, Micah, see, Micah as a punt returner was hated. Ooh, that might be a good one, Ever, bro. People hate Micah for leaving. Some people do. I, I mean, if a guy wants to leave, like it's a personal decision, man. These guys are people. They're not just like Legos for your Death Star yeah. that you're trying to build. Um, yeah, I kind of I like that. Uh, who's overhated? AB is the most overhated player. I'm sorry. It's it's got to be AB, dude. Yeah, the hate is just m- magnitudes. I'm not saying more. some of like some of the hate is not like. Oh, God, we we've exhausted this conversation so many times. Like, I mean, it's just the hate uh, is just the part of it. Like criticism. There's plenty of criticism that's warranted. Thank but... you, thank you. That's a great distinction to make. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of just actual hate which is just kind of stupid if you think about it um criticism yes we we have criticized ab as much as anybody on this pod um well that's probably not true but yeah i think yeah. <laughs> i think ab has to be the most overhated underrated though i still like ryan walk at that spot i just i guess i don't see the hate like you do maybe like alex forsyth or uh bass I don't know. I feel like yeah, all the skill it's, position it's, guys it's really are really tough. For, yeah, yeah, it's tough for me to know how much people on like how people rate all those offensive linemen. Um, because Bass was kind of clearly the best one, but Walk was like really good. If people think Walk is like the weak link, the link, link, just because he was a walk on, yeah, just because he's a walk on, yeah. that's definitely underrating him. Um. Probably Bass, though, ultimately. Yeah, yeah let's go with Bass. He was kind of unsung right, hero. Yeah, he really was, man. I'm so glad he came back. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no kidding. All right, final category. Uh, MVPs, offensive and defensive. I wish we had kept track of these throughout the season so we could see, like, who got them most often in yeah. each, of, each of these games. But, um yeah, next next year I want to get better on it. Like, start tweeting out like um, our MVPs. I was just thinking we should maybe tweet like out a, these a, lists. Yeah, you know, so game maybe ball we will or drop something. Them. Yeah. Um, um, who are you thinking for defensive? For defensive, is it Noah? Yeah, it's Noah. I think it's got to be Noah. Just because KT didn't play enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Verone's awesome. You know, we, we kind of gave him his shout. But I, I keep going back to, like, dude, if Noah isn't out there, we just oh, have a screwed. hole in the middle <laughs> of our defense the entire year. Like, if yeah. Noah isn't out there and just playing like an absolute freak, the whole defense falls apart. So. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Offensive, here's the moment. I mean, this is kind of the toughest one, I think. But Travis Dye? Yeah. Yeah. Who are the so other to guys you thinking of? I mean, that's the thing is there weren't like, there wasn't like a main guy on the offense. The only person you can attribute that to is Travis. Yeah. Like maybe I mean if we're talking just raw ability, like maybe Devin Williams. Right. But 
And I mean, God, here's the here's the thing with the AB over hate, right? I mean, the dude put up like 3,000 yards of total offense this season, and yet he's going to go down as like the most hated quarterback in Oregon history just because of what he couldn't do. Again, the criticism is totally warranted with, with AB. We've been over this. Uh, yeah, Travis. It's got to be. I think it's got to be Travis. I think Bass is probably the next guy you could even say. Because, you know, Johnny Johnson like and Jalen Red didn't exactly have signature years. They're solid, but um, the receiver room didn't, you know, Devin Williams was the quote-unquote breakout guy, and he didn't wasn't able to do it consistently enough. Tight ends, there's not much there, so. We need to talk about these tight ends more, man. I'm not suggesting that either one of them were player of the year, but these two young tight ends, I mean, just get over, we keep overlooking them. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they had a lot of touchdowns this season, I want to say, and just a lot of important catches and plays. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to pull up some stats real quick. But, yeah, I mean, no doubt. And just them both being freshmen who are going to be around. Um, yeah. I saw – Yeah, but- I think it's it, – real quick, I think it's funny that, like, remember one of the first meetings we had for this podcast – and we took a break during it to watch Matavao's commitment. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah, I treasure that. <laughs> um. Yeah, Matavao just had the one from the Ohio State game, and Ferguson had two. Really. But. Huh. But they played a, a ton. Um, yeah. Yeah, Ferguson ends with seventeen receptions. Matavao ends with with nine. It's interesting, and I didn't necessarily realize how much more productive Ferguson was. Yeah. You know. Um, I was going to say, though, I think one potential thing, we'll see if this happens or not, but um, but I think Ferguson and Mataval coming is big, and, and one of the things that QB mentioned is maybe that opens the door for a guy like DJ Johnson to move back to the defensive line, you know? Mm-hmm. And if, if that could happen with cave on out now, that could be a big pass rushing threat that could really change the look of Oregon's defense a lot. I, I that's a move that I would favor personally. I mean, yeah, I, me too. I mean, if, if McCormick it, comes back as well, then there's another tight end. Yeah, and you have, I mean, if you have Webb, Ferguson, and Matavau, that's a that's a really solid three. Um, yeah, maybe Patrick Herbert finally gets some real playing time coming right. off an injury. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, and it's tough for me to say, like, DJ Johnson is, needs to see the field on offense that much more than those guys. If they, if they really dedicate and are effective blockers, yeah. I mean, maybe DJ can even swing both ways a little bit if his pass-catching responsibilities are, you know, severely reduced. <laughs> and he only has to do, you know, he only has to run that one route into the flat. And yep, the USC block route. occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And otherwise, if he maybe if he only has to do that, I mean, he's been a super selfless guy and switched over before. So... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. interesting. <clears throat> I always think back to the fact that he proposed the switch. Um, yeah. I think that's a really interesting detail that people don't think about. Like when this all, when his switch first started, I want to say it was in 
was it before last season 2020 uh it was like his thing like i remember mario saying like he wanted to do that like he approached us about it so i don't know i thought yeah. that was pretty interesting you're right we haven't really i mean we'll definitely get into this on our next episode more but we haven't talked at all about what's coming next on the edge um I mean, we know how difficult it was at times without KT. Obviously, you got Braden Swinson stepping in and Mace Funa still here. But, I mean, we're going to need guys to step up around that position. So, I think you're right. I think it would be beneficial to put Johnson on that side. But that's that's discussion for our next pod. Um, we are well over the two-hour mark at this point. So, do you want to put a bow on this with some uh, some natty talk? Yeah, yeah, let's just do that quickly. Um, um, <laughs> Rose Bowl first? Let's get this out of the way. Sure, yeah. We watched this together in the car on the way back from the coast um, for the first half at least. One of the most entertaining halves of football I've ever seen, ever. Totally. I mean, this was awesome, uh, especially the way it was tilted too. I mean, we were both rooting for Utah despite the agony they've caused us this season. I mean, you always want the Pac-12 team to win in this scenario, unless it's UW. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, man, if Cam Rising doesn't go down, are we talking about Utah's Rose Bowl champs? You know, I don't know. I think that um, I think that play was crushing, right? But I mean, even yeah. if he stays in, ultimately, I just think that giving up that drive was what killed them. Yeah. I think that they put they shot so many bullets in the first half. I mean, you get the Britton Covey punt return touchdown or, or kick return touchdown. You get the cam rising, like stumbling backwards and then, you know, looking up and seeing 40 yards of grass in front of him. Yeah. Um, like they did all that. And then Ohio State leaned forward and they, you know, come back. They had the Clark Phillips punch out. Of, of Smith and Jigba before he almost had another touchdown. Like Utah had thrown at, at shot the, their bullets and got into a position where tie game, 10 minutes left getting the ball. And it was, you know, it felt to me like Utah is probably going to have two possessions here, depending on is definitely going to have two possessions here, depending on clock management. And if they play it right, Utah can have two possessions and only let Ohio state get one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but first play is a sack you know and even if cam rising's in stays in still second and 17 um and then it was took them you know a few miracles and some uh favorable officiating for them to score on the next drive but ultimately they did so it's not like you can say that that rising in there would have done anything on that next drive right yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe the the moment of the injury kind of skews my view yeah. of it a little bit. Because yeah, it was just. I mean, from for Utah fans, it's got to be pretty traumatic. Like that's the moment, right, where the the tables really turn. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigbo, man, <laughs> best wide receiver performance I think I've ever seen with my own two eyes at any level. Yeah. I mean, the guy ridiculous. was completely unstoppable. And I mean, yeah, Utah's got their excuses. Like they had like one healthy corner for the game. They had their backup running back playing corner. Like, 
it was just super entertaining. I'm glad the Rose Bowl still holds significance. And quite honestly, I mean, think about if the last few Rose Bowls had been duds, right? Like, think of the Wisconsin game was like a blowout one way or the other in 20, well, 2020, first day of 2020. I mean, that would have been terrible. Like, I'm glad the Rose Bowl has had significant performances and, like, memorable games for neutrals. Because uh, as a Pac-12 fan and the trajectory of this conference, I'm just going to keep holding on to the Rose Bowl as tight as I can. That is what makes playing in this conference fun, to be quite honest. is to I mean, there's plenty of things that make it fun, but that's what makes it at least a little bit relevant is getting a chance to play in the Rose Bowl. Um, totally. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what the future holds for that granddaddy. All right, Natty, baby. Why is Georgia favored, and why are they going to win this game by so many points, Reed? So many points. Uh, the hopeful answer is that they're just a better team, and outside of that one game, they've pretty much shown that. Um, I'm not sure if I totally believe that, but <laughs> I think it's two that's, and a half, right? Last yeah, I it's checked. two and a half right now. Yeah. I mean, the big counterpoint is, is just, uh, I guess this is kind of a referendum on how much quarterback play matters because mm. it feels like if you just flopped that. In coaching, I mean, Saban's a, Saban is a mastermind in terms of, not just in terms of scheme, but just, like, sports psychology, mental preparedness of his team. Like, they just mm-hmm. always seem to find a way to do it. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I think Mechie being down is a big thing for Bama. Um, they're going to have to rely a lot on Jamison Williams and – Bryce Young's going to have to put in another performance. I mean, I keep going back to there's a moment where it felt like Georgia was going to kind of strangle the life out of Bama. And then it felt like Georgia kind of got punched in that second quarter. And touchdown, yeah. they'd never really been punched like that before this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even the Clemson game, which was close. Georgia never like really got hit in the face in the same way. Yeah. You know, they kind of just – they were just kind of sparring the whole time and ultimately were able to put it away. But, yeah, so I hope that Georgia's recovered. I mean, I'll be rooting for Georgia, obviously, with our boy Dan uh, and because of your connection. So, yeah, man. Are you picking Georgia? I mean, you you nailed it all. I think it's really telling that um, one – like, how often in a game do you talk about, like, one starting quarterback doesn't have to outplay the other for his team to win the game. Right. I don't think Stetson Bennett has to outplay the the Heisman winner to win this game. And right. that's Not crazy. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy to me. Again, I mean, a lot of casuals will just, I mean, maybe they watched the SEC title game or maybe they like just saw the score of it or whatever. And they're like, Oh, okay. We already know how this is going to end. Like, I don't know, man. This Georgia team is built different, and I, quite honestly, it's like if they were ever going to do it, I think it's right now. A lot of Georgia fans have been waiting a real long time for an opportunity like this, um, especially since they had one. They literally had the shot in, what was that, 2017 season? 
or 20, 2016 season, 2017 title game. I hate how that happens, by the way. we got to figure a way around that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I It's going to be a real, real entertaining game. Like, a lot of people are disappointed because it's the same two teams, and, oh, it's always just too random. You know, it's, it's Bama versus whoever for the title every year. Like, yeah, I get that. It's annoying seeing the same logos on there every time. But the teams themselves are different. This is what makes college football so fun. It's not just Tom Brady for the upteenth time in the Super Bowl. It's right. a completely different team. You have a freshman who just won the Heisman. I mean, you have different styles of play. Alabama's whole staff gets turned over, like, every year at this point. Um so, I, you know, you got Will Anderson. He wasn't here the last time this happened. Like, it's all just so entertaining, man. I, I'm really excited to see some good football uh, that isn't the NFL. Because, to be honest, I can't stand watching the NFL. So, yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at. You got a prediction? I think I'm rolling with Georgia. Uh, yeah. I mean, like you said, it. It's not always the same thing. I don't know. People go, but I, I mean, I put on Twitter, um, you know, some of the, I was rewatching some of the history of this game, just in ten, anticipation of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, I'll pull it up. Yeah. Since 2008, they played seven times. Six of those seven games have been played in the state of Georgia. That's pretty funny. Wow. Uh, given that, um, all, all the SEC championship matchups happen at, at Atlanta and their national yeah. championship game happened in Atlanta. Um, and then also uh, Georgia has been ranked in the top four nationally, six out of those seven games as well. Wow. Uh, and actually the time that they were ranked outside of it, eighth in 2015, they were favored over Bama. Wow. Yeah. Um, and obviously, George's lost all seven of those games. But, <laughs> but, yeah, it's a different team each year. And I don't know. I, I mean, I want to be careful in that this is definitely not a Saban is washed, the Bama dynasty ends on Monday take at all. Uh, I feel very comfortable that Bama is going to win a championship in the next four years because they always do that. Mm -hmm. um so this is not the end of anything but it's more that i really just don't think this is a um i think this is a down year for bama frankly this feels like it a is. rebuild it year is, for yeah. them <laughs> it's scary that they still are you know within two and a half point spread of uh national title in that year but i i think that there are better bama teams ahead of us and i think that this just feels like even though they lost to Bama, this Georgia team feels like if there was a year for them, this is the one, right? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm rolling with them. Sure, there's a little bit of wishful thinking there, but, yeah, I'll, I'll roll with them. And um, I don't know, in terms of score prediction, what, like 38-31 uh, maybe? Wow. Wow. I don't. Oh God. I don't. I don't want to jinx anything, man. Bama by a hundred. There's your. There's your score prediction. Hundred to zero. Um, I respect I, it. I will. Hope none of my professors are listening. They aren't, because I will be watching this during class. But um, 
<laughs> we got to get rid of this Monday night BS, man. This is terrible. We Once we're commissioners, that's, I think that's the first order of business is to, I mean, maybe you'll want to play with the, the playoff a little bit, but actually, no, you won't. What am I saying? Um, but I don't want the natty on a Monday. That doesn't feel right. Put, put that on Saturday as the good Lord intended. All, All right, right man. man. Any other comments? This is by, well, this has to be our longest episode, right? Uh, thanks for watching this movie with us. If you're still listening and it's time to wake up if you're asleep. <laughs> this is a sincere option at this point too yeah all right yeah rate us and all that stuff at ducks pod at ducks pod thanks yeah go ducks, go ducks.